Moncrief on News Talk. Now, if you're listening to Pat Kenny uh, earlier on, or indeed if you uh, heard the show last uh, Thursday, you might have gathered uh, that last week I was in Somalia on the, on the invitation of UNICEF. And so I just do did want to start the show today talking a little bit about that. Now, if you're sitting there going, I don't really know where Somalia is, that's okay. You don't. We don't need to know everything about everything. Just imagine a map of Africa on the right-hand side, there's that kind of bulgy bit. Just below that, there's a kind of a triangular-shaped piece of land that, that sticks out. That's normally called the Horn of Africa, but that's actually where uh, uh, Somalia is. The capital of Somalia is Mogadishu. Now, 10 years ago, uh, the, the population of Mogadishu was a million people. Now it's two and a half million people. And that's because of all the people who have moved from other parts of the country, fleeing war and famine and uh, climate change uh, in general. It's uh, uh, And they're called uh, IDPs or internally displaced people, but effectively refugees uh, in their own country. Now, it's a very complex country. There's a, a clan system that's been in operation there uh, for centuries. And so... All Somalis are part of a clan or a sub-clan. Those clans have their own militias. So everywhere we went in the country, you see guns everywhere and people in military fatigues, and it's not entirely sure who's who. But in general, what's going on there in terms of a security situation is that uh, the central government and the clans are allied together to fight al-Shabaab, which is this Islamist group that are allied to al-Qaeda, that war has been going on there for uh, well over a decade. Now, in the conventional military sense, uh, the Al-Shabaab are pinned down in the south of the country. But Al-Shabaab, because uh, they also have the option of suicide bombing, managed to have attacks all over the country if they feel like it. I think the day before we arrived there, uh, there'd been a suicide uh, bombing in Mogadishu. So security is extraordinarily tight everywhere uh, we went in. When we're in Mogadishu, there's an area that's called the Green Zone, which is around uh, where the airport is. Uh, that itself is fortified. Even when you're inside the Green Zone, each particular building you go into is fortified. They have their own armed guards. They check under every uh, vehicle that comes in and out. You're always extensively questioned as to who you're going to see or where you're going. We did leave the Green Zone uh, to visit a hospital uh, where we saw some terribly, terribly uh, malnourished babies and the process they go through by, by bringing these babies uh, back to life. But even to get as far as the hospital, we had to wear flak jackets and be in a bulletproof uh, a jeep and have armed guards on either side of us. And when we arrived at the hospital, there was the police were outside, they were armed to the teeth. We went inside, the hospital itself has its own armed guards, they're armed to the teeth. So guns are absolutely everywhere and that's had a huge effect on the population in terms of various, uh, um, well, mainly the war with Al-Shabaab. That's that's made people uh, relocate. On top of that, there's climate change. Now, 70% of people in Somalia are pastoralists. That means basically they're subsistence farmers. They grow a few crops, they have a few animals and mostly, uh, you know, uh, wouldn't have been wealthy people uh, but Somalis would live in houses. Uh, they're fierce fond of, of corrugated iron in Somalia. I don't know where we wonder. I kept wondering where everybody got it all from. But they would have had houses. That was all gone in the last five years because five years of drought basically killed off all the crops, killed off uh, all their animals. So they had to move. That's uh, And that's on top of a lot of people having to move because they were escaping uh, violence. Then whoever was uh, was remaining still hanging on there to, to that way of life. This year, floods came 
uh, and um, devastated large sections of the country and again flooded out not just uh, the remaining few pastoralists who were there, but also uh, IDP camps as well. Uh, so people who had uh, who were either fleeing the drought or the violence or both uh, ended up in a camp and then they were flooded out uh, because the rains were so intense this year. So uh, apart from Mogadishu, we travelled to a place called Dulo, which is in uh, the west of Ethiopia. It's right on the border uh, with the, or the west of Somalia, I should say. It's, it's right on the border with Ethiopia. Now, there were Ethiopian troops there as well, uh, Somali troops and uh, uh, African Union troops and armed guards and God knows uh, who else were there. Even the guest house uh, that we stayed in uh, had its own armed troops. Now, Dulo is a tiny place. If you can imagine, it's like any village in Ireland, really. So it's one street. That's about it. Except you'd probably see more donkeys in Dulo than you might see in any town in Ireland. And about 1,500 people originally lived in this place. Uh, But over the last 10 years... Uh, IDPs have been coming there because it seemed to be relatively safe. And so now there are five IDP camps ringing this little village and there's half a million people uh, in these camps. Now, Somalia is a hot country, believe you me. Now, when you look at the weather, it says it's it's uh, 30 degrees every day. It certainly feels hotter than that. There's no breeze. It's extremely humid. As soon as you step into it, you feel yourself sweating uh, within seconds. So you can imagine travelling on foot in that country. So the, the first clip we want to play with, uh, play for you is that uh, this is a montage of various people that we spoke to just asking the simple question of how long did it take you to get here? We just got a car just here uh, in between and then in between here we had to make it two days to come here. Okay. Okay. It's somehow she exactly doesn't and I exactly don't, don't know uh, the, the distance. Yes. But uh, I have been traveling two nights and two days. Okay. And how did you do The father's, the child's father, is, he, has, he has passed away here. Ten days she have been traveling, ten days. It took 10 days to come here. To walk? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's on foot. Yeah. yeah. And d- uh, is this her only child or does she have many children? She has eight children. Another eight children. 15 days. You have been using a donkey cart and then to reach here, it took him 15 days to come here. I don't know the kilometer. It's almost 250 kilometers. It's 300 kilometers off. Wow. And did, did you walk there? Yeah. He came through a, a donkey cut. Yeah. Six. He has six children. Six children. Mm-hmm. The last one, the youngest one, he died here in this hospital. Walking in that heat uh, while carrying kids, it, it, believe me, it would be unimaginable. And, you know, as, as you heard, the few references there to spouses dying and children dying. We heard loads of stories uh, from people who lost children. Uh, just in, in the process of trying to get to that camp. By the way, in one of those clips, you heard a kind of an odd noise in the background and that was actually, um, I think we were interviewing a man, but his wife, or one of his wives, uh, was was on the ground using a piece of stone to mill some grain. That's what the, I think you might hear that that sound again in, in, in the course of things. Now, the main aid agency in, this, in these camps in Dulo, it's called CEDA, which stands for the Community Empowerment Development Association. That's a Somali agency and, and they get... 
uh, and a lot of help from international agencies like UNICEF, who, you know, give them money, most importantly, and other forms uh, of technical uh, support. Now, for UNICEF, obviously, that means helping mothers uh, and feeding malnourished kids, treating sick kids, vaccinating kids, uh, that kind of thing. But it's worth pointing out there's half a million people there. They can't feed everyone, obviously. You can't have, you know, the, the infrastructure required to feed half a million people every day uh, would be just impossible. Or give them drinking water, for that matter. We did, uh, when we arrived there, the, the floods had receded somewhat. But there were these big lakes that were, they weren't lakes before, which was flood water. And we saw loads of people out uh, uh, with cans collecting that water, which would have been filthy, but they didn't have much uh, of an option. Now, they do get, or some of them get chlorine tablets and they're showed how to use those chlorine tablets, but sometimes they don't use them and sometimes they don't use it correctly, So, uh, which in turn uh, causes uh, more illness. Also, when people turn up at these plant, uh, camps, there isn't accommodation laid on for them. Uh, they scavenge around themselves, they use branches, they create kind of a uh, it look a bit like an igloo. You've probably seen pictures of that kind of thing. And, and they put tarpaulins over them. And outside, inside, oh my God, it's so hot in these. Uh, um, it was unendurable for the paddies going in there talking to people anyway. I don't, I don't know how they stuck it. And the average size of these would be like a four-person tent. And you had families of uh, 10 people or so uh, crammed into these yeah, crammed into these small dwellings. So the 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 next clip we have here is is of a woman we met when we were going around uh, uh, the camp. She was one of the many people there. She had a dwelling, and it had been flooded out. And you could see we could see in the inside that it was a sea of mud inside where her dwelling was. But she had one of her neighbours there had had taken her in. But uh, uh, like everybody there, she still had to figure out some way of making money to buy food. Can she sleep in that? Now you see it has muddy, it has flooded. There's a problem to get in. Yeah, so where does she sleep? Because I just leave this one also here, that one. Okay. Yeah, right. this small one. Yeah, and yeah. one also, and that's just neighbors. Yeah. So it's owned by a small girl, which is an orphan. This one. That one, which is standing here. That's a small girl. It's owned by her. So they're just related. Nine family nine members. Children. Nine family members. And is her husband with her here too? Oh. Yeah. He passed away, he died. Okay. So she has an orphan children. Could you ask her actually what it is she's making? At all, she'll be a mat. It's a basket, traditional basket. Now she makes it and then she sells. Okay. So that's a way means of making uh, an income or livelihood. Okay. Yeah. How long will it take her to make a basket? Okay. 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 Fifteen days you have to take to make days. fifteen days. Yeah. 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 And how much would she sell the basket? Okay. 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 Fifteen days work uh, for five dollars, and you know the cost—the cost of living isn't so low in Somalia that that isn't a, a desperate. That's less than a dollar a day, far less than a dollar a day. And we did come across people. Uh, we met and we met some guy who was making axe handles. Who was, you know, uh, it took him a few days to make an axe handle, and then he'd sell it for a dollar. So it was uh, similar kind of stories there. We never met anybody though who complained there particularly. I mean, they tell you the. 
uh, the facts of their, their their particular circumstances, I suppose, because all, everyone around them was in pretty much the same uh, situation. But you would wonder uh, about the uh, the effects on their mental health. Now, I know in this kind of an emergency situation, it's probably the last thing uh, people think about. Uh, but you know, but I did. We did think to ask about. Do you have any hopes of the future? Do you ever think you'll go back to where you came from? Uh, do you think things are ever gonna? Uh, improve for you and so we, we do have a clip where you ask people that now just as uh, as a reference you may it, it, there's one of them where the interpreter actually mentions al-shabaab but for the most part somalis don't like to use the phrase al-shabaab they just like to say s well rajay captain the camp kun kutab to mil kala set rajay da seleta no he said i don't have no no he said no yeah yeah Mm-hmm. You just stay here forever. Yeah. I just came. I have shifted from two other places. Now I'll be stay here. No hope to return back. Yeah. No, not ever. Yeah. No. Yeah. All the animals which they they used to depend on the livelihood. Yeah. They are already gone with the with the with the drought that have affected. The, 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 the around the Somali, particularly our. Uh, so, what does she hope? What do you hope for uh, in the future? In the future, they're hoping to. We are hoping to stay here because um, in, in our previous uh, in geographical area that we uh, moved from, they didn't have and safety there. There's no safety there because uh, the the S are present there. I I don't go any other place. I just went to my lucky and it'll be staying here forever. Ah, yeah. So I stay now. I'll be staying here. In the future, I don't have a, a choice to go back, but just stay here. And I am just a female. I couldn't do anything. We have been evacuated by Al-Shawab. Al-Shawab saw no way to go back. We ran away from them. Even this morning, I feel bad because this morning even, I don't have something to eat. My, this morning, I got something to eat from a family, neighbor. We don't have even something to cook, something to eat. We don't have anything. So we are staying. So it's a okay. very, uh, very painful life. Yeah. Does he hope someday to leave the camp? Maybe get some work? Well, Raja, Captain, I don't have any other place to go. I have no hope to go any other place. I don't have any other place to go other than here. Okay. Yeah. Does he have any hope that in the future things might get better and he will have Well, Raja, Captain, God knows, but uh, it is very hard now for us to say, to know, or to yeah. predict. Yeah. But for the current situation, it's very hard. Yeah. So that was, it, it, as far as we could tell, and and, and uh, we spoke to loads of people there, the extent of their hope was just to stay where they were and not to have to uh, move again. But it wasn't all completely grim. One of, one of the projects that UNICEF uh, is involved in is, is running a school there. Now, again, half a million people there's a school there that caters for about a thousand pupils. Now, it seems as if national school in Somalia goes up to grade eight rather than grade six. So so uh, uh, the, the oldest kids there are, you know, 15 or 16 kind of thing. Uh, so we did go to visit the school and it was a lovely school and everyone was in uh, school uniforms uh, and all that kind of stuff. Very happy kids. So we got to chat to a few of them. 
I'm 16 years old. She's 16 years old. And so when she uh, finishes school here, what does she hope to do? Because the other is when I finish uh, grade 8, I would like to go uh, and, and continue my studies and go to secondary. And, uh, and has she thought about when she finishes secondary school, what kind of work she would like to do? I want to be a doctor. <laughs> She's mortal, absolutely mortal. Uh, we'll do one of the boys, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And when I finish grade eight, uh, I would like to go to and join the second grade. What would you like to do when he's finished secondary school? When I finish high school, I would like to be uh, to join university. Then I would like to be a doctor as well. Another doctor. Yeah. Okay, there'll be lots of doctors in. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I ask? Is he the first in his family to to go to secondary school? And other ma uhray family kin fofka the doctor also give me seva doctorajul. I'm the second. Or my the other brother is is in formal right now. Is he gonna be a doctor as well? Yeah? Yeah. 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 And my brother also like to be a, a president. A pre- <laughs> Good man. <laughs> like a president as well. Yeah. Uh, it was extraordinary uh, how many of those kids uh, said they'd like to be a doctor. And one assumes that's because when they saw around them, when they saw the most useful uh, role they could, they could see adults taking on, it was being a doctor because that's of uh, crucial importance uh, uh, to that uh, to those communities. Now, the, uh, again, it should be stressed that they're the lucky ones that uh, I was told by uh, various aid workers that, you know, they have to kind of yeah, tout for business a bit. There's still cultural resistance, to use that kind of nice bland phrase, uh, to uh, having kids educated, but particularly girls educated. So they continually have to go out uh, uh, to people's homes to make the argument uh, that you really should send your your kids to school. And one of the arguments they use to, to get you to send your kids to school uh, is that they get fed there uh, uh, because obviously it's it's no good trying to educate a child if you can't feed them. So there are uh, there are free meals for them now. They've been so overwhelmed by demand uh, because of that. It was it used to be the case that uh, each child would get uh, a meal in the middle of the day, and now they've had to kind of start to ration that a bit so that you, they bring out a large plate and three kids you know, have to share that plate. Uh, and uh, we we did see that ourselves, and it was really sweet seeing the little the younger ones kind of encouraging each other uh, uh, to eat from the plate. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.